It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now here's Eric Lutie. I'm expecting, isn't it fun starting a new week, just knowing that uh, God has plans in store and we get to walk in that. Uh, so let's just be expectant and I want to pray to just start out. Father, may today be <clears throat> a day that reveals you, a day that takes us deeper. Lord, I pray that our hearts and our minds would be readied, that the soil would be fertile to receive your truth and to respond to your truth. Lord, we just say thank you. Thank you for who you are. We love you. and In every regard, we are so blessed in knowing you. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be made known. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we ask this. Amen. <clears throat> so if you've gone through Ellerslie, then the name of this particular uh, session is going to stand out. And I'm going to relate to certain things in that uh, message. It's called the body. And it's a very simple term. But when you think about that term, and if you've been around Christianity at all, it triggers all sorts of dynamics. Of course, you could just think of the individual human body, and you'd be accurate. That really matters in the Christian life. And then you could think about the body of Christ. Uh, and then when I say it's something like the body of Christ, that triggers multiple things. Because when I first say the body of Christ, a lot of us think of the church. And that would be an accurate thought. But very few people think of the body of the man named Jesus. And that body and what that body went through, what that body did and what that body symbolized is very significant. And so this whole idea of a body being the body of the man, Jesus, the body of those that believe in Jesus, which becomes a corporate body known as the church, and the individual body, which is meant to house the very same spirit that lived in Christ, that raised him from the dead, and on an individual level, we are meant to reveal the same thing that Jesus revealed in his body. And so this whole idea of a body, we just take it for granted. We pop out of our mother's womb, and we look like this. We have two arms, two legs, we have a head. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever thought about it. It's like, we find it attractive. Isn't it interesting that we find this form attractive? You know, but if the nose was like up here, you know, on the forehead, you know, just sort of uh, up, up near uh, the top of the head, uh, that, and that was normal, would we find that attractive? And we're thinking, oh, it, that would be so weird. But why is it any less weird to have a nose in the middle of the head and it like juts out? And some people's there's bulge out, and some people there's just a little nose there. Does it matter? Uh, but there's like this sense of familiarity to this thing known as the body. We just sort of go with it. And yet the way it's put together is to reveal the kingdom of heaven. So as I'm teaching Hudson about what a man is, it is so profound how a man is built, how a man is built and designed physiologically anatomically to reveal the kingdom of heaven. And the same is true with a woman. And so this is, this is quite the carrying device, this thing known as the body. We are meant to do something with this body, and it's, it's very significant. So let's at least dig into this, but I, I think I'm going to actually start out with some review and then some glossary words. So what we're going through on Mondays and Wednesdays, this is installment seven, uh, and it's of the glossary of the gospel, where when you first start in the kingdom of heaven, this is like a new believer's class, if you want to call it that, 
but it's also for old believers to know effectively how to disciple new believers. So it's useful for all of us, and it's amazing that even when you go through something like the foundations, you're always thinking, wow, how did I miss that? And so when you go through anything foundationally, it can be tremendously invigorating just to reestablish first things. Because the first things in the Christian life are so critical, and we never move past first things. We continually revisit them. So here's a first thing, the Word of God. And so in the very first day when I, in fact, the message was called First Things. And I had a Bible up here. I probably should have a Bible with me every, every time I come up here. And I held it up, and I was like, this is known as the Word of God. And that's an accurate statement for the Bible. It could be called the Word of God because it is, in fact, the Word of God. God carried along the writers of that book, and out comes God's very Word. And even though it's written by men, it is God's revelation. It's what he wanted to say. And it's a profound book as a result. But the Word of God is also in a man. And so John the Apostle says, of Jesus, and that's the Word of God. So you have the Word of God in text, the Bible. You have the Word of God in person, Jesus. You have the Word of God in action, the cross. And that, in essence, is where we place our faith. We place our faith in what the Word of God in text says about that Word of God in person, and that what he did on that cross, the Word of God in action, is our salvation. That's where we stake our eternity, right there. And so as a result, we are believers. Believers in what? The Word of God. Now, if you remember back, I was talking about what a word is. A word is a fascinating thing. It, remember my invisible thought? Do you guys remember that uh, teaching I had? I have, an, I have a thought inside of my head, and you can't see it, right? So if I challenged uh, Josh, and I was like, what's my thought? And he's like, I don't know. You need to help me out a little bit here. You see, you can't... You can't interpret or guess. I mean, you could look at my facial features, my body position. You go, I think he's thinking this. However, you're still just guessing. You don't know. And so I want to get what is invisible inside of me. I have this great thought, and I want to get it to Josh, but how do I get it there? I package it in a word. I take that which is invisible, and I stick it in a word or a series of words, and then I shoot it out of my mouth, and it, it goes through the air, and then in through Josh's ear canal, and then right into his brain, and he's like, whoa! He actually is able to tell me this invisible thought that is inside. I'm like, how did you do that? Well, it was all because a word was employed. A word is a carrying vehicle. And so the word of God in text carried along to us the revelation of the word of God in person, who carried along to us in and through not only his life lived, but his, his life given up at the cross, he carried along a perfect representation of that which is invisible. He said, when you see me, you see the Father. The Father, no man has seen him at any time, but Christ, the word of God in flesh, revealed him. And so as a result, this word becomes very significant. So the Word of God in text, the Bible. The Word of God in person, Jesus Christ. The Word of God in action, the cross. The Word of God in us. When the Holy Spirit is given, now suddenly the very one who wrote the Word of God, who revealed Jesus to us, who actually orchestrated all the details of the cross, that same one whew, lives inside of us. Christianity, that's what it's called. We are changed people by this word. We believe in it, and then it moves inside. 
the very architect of it moves inside. It says it's the concept in Colossians is Christ in you, the hope of glory. God has a design to make this body behave and to function as he originally intended it to function. And so the word of God in text reveals that word of God in person. That word of God in person goes to that cross. We believe it. Now the word of God comes in us. Now the great final capstone because you need five fingers. I mean, you have to have five. Well, it doesn't make any sense to just have four, right? So five, boom, the word of God through us. So God doesn't just move in. What does he want to do? He wants to move out. So he carries these feet, these hands. He moves us. This is like the temple of God, mobile. We can go anywhere in this world that God would lead us. We can move. And what do we have? What do we carry? We carry the word of God. We are carrying that grand message, the very thing we have believed upon, is the very thing now we give. And that is, in very a simple sense, the five fingers of the word of God. So, key terms for the day. Glory. That's, it didn't, you remember during church service, we were talking about different options. You could say, amen. And then one of the other one was, hallelujah. See, for whatever reason, pastors like it when, you say things like that. It gets us charged up. And then uh, Bo Matzett offered glory. Yeah. So what is that? What is glory anyways? It's just sort of one of those big, dazzling sorts of words. Like you know it's important when someone says yes and the glory of God. What, what is that? What is the glory of God? And so the concept of glory is like a weightiness. But so it's like, it's heavy. It's, it's like pure gold. It's not the cheap stuff. It's like, ooh, it has the true virtue to it. But one of the best ways that I've ever understood glory is you know, we have, usually these curtains have been pulled close behind me, so you can't see what is behind me. I mean, it's actually beautiful. And of course, this time of year, with all this extra moisture, uh, last week we had a snowstorm. Didn't, someone told me that in Denver they had 15 inches of snow. I, I can't prove that, but someone said that to me. Could you imagine late May having 15 inches of snow? I'm not sure if that's true, but we're getting a lot of moisture, which is leading to a lot of green, which is unusual for Colorado to be this green. So we're cherishing that fact. But now imagine that those uh, curtains are closed, and I start telling you about this beautiful lake out back, there's a swan uh, swimming on it, and there's, there's mountains behind it. Oh, and it's so nice. You see, glory is hidden. This revelation of who he actually is is not seen. The full weight of his person is not realized. Why? Because there's a blockage. There's a, there's a curtain in front of it. And so imagine that I came up to the curtain and I opened it an inch. What would happen? You'd see the glory. Well, you'd see the glory in part. You see you're seeing something. You're seeing a bright light shine through, and you're seeing maybe a little green, and you're seeing a little of the sunset. I don't know if you see any of the swan, right? But you actually know that something's real and something's there, and that's the way it is for us as Christians. What the Holy Spirit is doing is he's pulling back the curtain for us. We start, and it's total darkness, and then suddenly, whew, glory! I see it. I've beheld him. What, you mean you saw him? Did you go to heaven? How did, how did you see him? I don't know how to describe it, but light shone into my life, and I saw the realities of the kingdom of heaven. Yet all you saw was through a gla glass dimly. So it, it is sort of like this. We have this curtain, this sheer up there, and it's giving us a hint, but we can't see it with clarity. 
if we were to describe the glory of God, it's like this whole building blows away. There is no blockage, there is no hindrance, there's no timber standing in the way, there's no sheer curtain. Suddenly we behold him in all of his weight and magnificence. And that is what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's bringing a greater and greater understanding of that glory. Body. So a body is exactly what you would guess it is, but it's a carrying device. It is it's something that is made in a very specific image, just like a glove is to a hand. A glove is made in the image of the hand. The glove is not the hand. It is made in the image of the hand. Why? To assist that uh, hand in a very specific process. To do what? To reveal glory. So, and I've said this before, if you've ever been around and I talk about the hand glove thing, if this hand is invisible and you can't see it, and it has a desire to tell Reese, to point out at Reese, and Reese is supposed to go, oh, he's pointing at me. He's, uh, 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 the, the invisible hand is pointing at me. But if this is invisible, Reese doesn't see that. So Reese is just sitting there minding his own business, and he doesn't see that the invisible hand is pointing right at him. And then what if the invisible hand waved at Lily? Lily wouldn't see it because she can't see the invisible, right? So then imagine that the invisible hand beckoned Abby and said, hey, but if, if the hand was invisible, Abby wouldn't see it. Now, this glove was made for a very specific purpose, and that is to reveal that which is invisible. It's called a body. It's made in the image of God, and it rests perfectly upon this invisible. And as long as the invisible is inside of it, the very essence of who God is, the intent of God, the motive of God, the power of God, then suddenly this glove begins to do exactly what that hand does, and it reveals the glory of God. That is what this glove was intended to do. That's us. We're a body, and we were created to rest upon or to have God in us, functioning, making this his hand, making this his eye, making these his these eye. I'm having trouble with that line. Making these his eyes, making this tongue his tongue, making this heart his heart. It beats with his burdens, making this, these feet his feet. So now watch. A glove rests upon this hand, this invisible hand, and now it points at Reese. What's Reese seeing? He sees the invisible pointing at him. But is he seeing the invisible? Sort of. He's seeing the effects of the invisible through a glove. And as a result, that glove is revealing to him the intent, the motive, the heart behind that which is invisible. Now imagine, what, what was it? The, no, no, it was, it was the wave. That's right. Thank you, Abby. The wave comes to Lily. What does Lily see? Well, as long as there's a glove there, she actually sees that God's saying, hello. And Lily's like, God is saying hello to me. How did she see it? It's because a glove was willing to allow the hand inside of it. Because that glove is made perfectly to fit it. It's made in the image of the invisible. And then Abby, if that glove is in place, guess what? No, what was it? It was this one, right? You get the beckoning. You actually see it. It's like God's, God's calling me to himself. How do you know that God is calling you? Well, I mean, that is so ridiculous. How do you know that God is calling you? All these Christians are saying that God's calling them. Well, I don't know how to explain it, but Jesus Christ has been revealed to me. He has revealed that which is invisible. And even through the body of Christ, did you know that we're gloves? And so when we interact with each other, God's message comes through us to people too? I mean, this is how he intended it. So, glory, body. 
You see, God has a desire to reveal his glory in this earth. And he has chosen a body through which to do it. Very specifically, he chose the body of Christ. Now remember, when I say body of Christ, what do you think of? You think of the church. It's like, and that's true. But very specifically, he came in the body of a man. The body's name, if you want to say it that way, was Jesus. And it's through that body that the glory of God was revealed. And then God raises up as, us up and says, I want to make you my body. In the same way that body, in an individual sense, revealed the glory of the unseen. Now I choose you. I knit you together. And I make you a body. And I live inside of you. So that just as I revealed that which is invisible. And I could, this is what Jesus said. When you see me, you've seen the Father. It's the equivalent of saying, when you've seen me, you've seen that which is invisible. And we as a church are able to say, and when you see us, you see Jesus. That's, that's, that's what it's all about. Triune. Sort of a fun word to say if you guys were to try it. I know it's a little awkward when you're in the audience to like whisper it to yourself like triune. But it's, it's a fun word. Triune. Doesn't that sound fun? Don't you? Some of you are thinking, I wish I could say it right now because the way he's saying it just makes it look so fun. What it means, because you'll hear this word, the triune God. Okay? Now try... Like a tricycle, okay? What does that mean? Three wheels. Tri is three. Now, I know many of you know that, but there's some younger ones in here, and this is like maybe the first time. Like, tri means three? It does. It means three. So, triune. That's a, that is a fun word. Triune. So, triune, three functioning as one. So, when so you hear the term, the triune God, God is three persons, but he functions as one. And I'll go into that in just a second at a greater level, but that's just to help you with the word. Now we have another one, tripartite. Now the reason I'm giving you both these words simultaneously, triune describes God. Tripartite describes his creation, if you want to say it that way, the body of man. And because the body, the way that we are structured, is in a tripartite way, which means there's three parts. I know the word sounds, the word sounds intimidating at first, tripartite. It's just like, whoa, what is that? But just look at it. Try, three, part. I know the it on the end. If we just said try part, that sounds better. But it doesn't sound as intellectual. You can really sound smart. Like you could leave here today, walk down the road and go, tripartite. And then someone's going to be like, whoa, boy, they sound smart. So you could try it. I don't know if it'll work. Could backfire on you. But tripartite is a three-part. And we, as humans, are divided up into three parts. Remember the temple of God in the Old Testament? The temple in the Old Testament had three parts to it. It had an outer court where the Gentiles could come. It had an inner court or a, a sacred place, a holy place, where the, only the consecrated priests could come. And then it had a place called the most holy place or the holy of holies. Three parts. And that was a picture of something. Jesus says, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And they're like, it take, took 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to rebuild it in three days. Ha, ha, ha. But it says, but the temple of which he was speaking was his body. You see, there's something about that house in the Old Testament, that temple, and the human body. Jesus is bringing a direct link. He's saying that temple and his body are the same. And when it's torn down, when he gives up his life, he's laid in a grave, in three days, he'll raise it up again. But the temple of which he was speaking, the house of that which he was speaking, was his own body. 
<clears throat> Romans 8, 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So this word here, I'm gonna just briefly describe the fact that what God's purpose is, when I say it's glory, very simply, if I was going to summarize the essence of what God is after, he is after what we could call the kingdom and the glory. And so when we start with this idea of glory, that to be fully manifest, to be fully seen, that there would be no blockage, that there would be no curtain anymore, that who he is would be realized. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed. We are designed, predestinate meaning decided ahead of time, very specifically how he would do things. God has designed ahead of time how he has designed this body to function, what he desires for it. This word, somorphos, it's actually a great word, and if, if you know, if you just sort of break it down into its parts, because the Greek forms some Latin roots too, symmetry, meaning like, and then morphos, to change, to change into his likeness, to change into the way he is. That's actually what it means. Isn't that an incredible statement? To behave as he would behave, to have this body function as his body functioned, Somorphos, great word. This is part of what his desire is. To the intent, this is speaking about the entire body. So we as believers are called the body of Christ or the church of Jesus Christ. And this is what it says in Ephesians, that our, the intent of us gathering together and believing is to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. The manifold wisdom of God is to be known by this church it's the glory of God. It would be seen. The manifold wisdom would be realized. It's there. And they sung a new song. This is in the book of Revelation. Saying, thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. Do you remember that scene where there's this, this book that cannot be opened? There's these seals that bind it and uh, John is weeping. There's no one in heaven that can open it. I don't, it's still sort of a funny thought to think, don't, don't you realize that there is one? But that, that was part of the story. It's just to reveal that afresh. There is a lamb that was slain that is able to open that book and break its seals. So thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. So God has a design for all of us. Those that have been purchased by his blood are being built to be revelatory devices of the very thing he is. He's royalty. He has authority over all things. And so those that are being conformed, symorphos, being changed into his likeness to reveal the manifold wisdom of God are actually being built up to rule and to reign with him. We really have no business doing that sort of thing. I mean, doesn't God remember that we're sinners? That we have rebelled against him and we're deserving of judgment? He has redeemed us. And his purpose for us is so grand. I, I've oftentimes said that if, if we were to ponder it and we were to say, imagine that God, he loves us and he cares. And so he comes to this earth and breaks our chains and sets us free because he wants us to come and live where he lives. Okay, that's, that's profound just in and of itself, which is what he did. But if you were gonna come into the kingdom of heaven, 
<clears throat> so a chariot arrives, and you know, they say, uh, Eric Ludi, uh, come with me. The king uh, is wanting to bring you into his kingdom. Like, whoa, I'm just blown away by the fact that God wants me to come. However, where am I going to come? You know, you have God's kingdom where he is, and it's unapproachable light. No no man can approach it, right? Even the seraphim cover their, their eyes. It's like this is holy, holy, holiness. I don't belong there. And so you just imagine, like in every town, there's usually the fringe. There's the poor district. You know, the cheaper homes, you know, the ones where, you know, the government sort of funds a few things and subsidizes. Yeah, that place. That's where we belong, guys. If we were going to be coming in, that makes more sense. We would be taken to the poor district, right? Instead, you're in the chariot and you ride right by what you would deem the poor district. You're like, where are we going? We're going to the king. Well, I think you were supposed to drop me off because I can't get that near him. No, uh, did he not tell you? He adopted you as his child. He wants you to come and live where he lives, in his very presence. Uh, It's so startling to understand what has transpired. Because it's hard enough for us as Christians to grasp the fact that he has rescued us, though we were sinners. That's hard. But then to grasp the fact that when we yielded to him... He lifts us up with himself. He gives us his full inheritance. He makes us kings and priests. He conforms us to his image so that we are image bearers, glory bearers. When people see us, they're like, that's like the Jesus I've been studying about in the Bible. We are literally the ones that are called to reveal the invisible. We are the body of Christ Oh, that's amazing. The most valuable pieces of real estate on earth. So I know I have the answer up there. If you're listening on podcast, I'm not going to give it away. So the most valuable pieces of real estate on earth, where are they? Some people would say, I think it's in Dubai. Uh, I don't know. There's some places in California, very expensive. I, also in like uh, New York State, in the New England area, Massachusetts. Oh, there's some expensive property, right? So you're like thinking it through, where's the, where's the best piece of real estate on earth? Let's ask uh, God and let's ask the devil. What property are they after more than any other property on earth? All right, so those on podcasts, this will teach you. You're not here, you don't get to see the screen. Uh, so I can, I can delay this a little. The most significant, the most valuable pieces of real estate on earth are actually not earth. They are human. The most important place to find your dwelling is in a body. This is what God is after. This is what Satan is after. This is what the big battle is over. It's not over just earthly territory. Earthly territory plays a part. It matters. Real estate matters. But human bodies matter more. And so that's why you see the great battle and the conflict is over us. And if you've ever wondered why it seems like you're in a battle, it's because you are. The kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness are warring over your soul. This territory, this property, this house is of great significance in all of the eternal realms. 
Isn't that just a, an odd thought? You feel so insignificant, and the devil's constantly whispering in your ear, you're nothing, you're nothing, you're nothing. Meanwhile, God says, I'd like to buy that property, and it cost him his life. He gave up everything to purchase it. You know what type of value that just put on you? Yeah, you may be unworthy of that sort of love, but he has placed a value on you. And the devil, I mean, he will take all of his resource to try and sabotage what God is trying to do in your life. So he's going to take his resource. You know that if you have a military campaign, it costs a lot of money. I mean, nations will empty all their coffers. They'll start taking all the metal out of their society and melting it down to turn it into ammunition. And they will spend all their resource to accomplish the ends of a war, to gain victory. The devil will spend all of his resource to try and get you. Well, you could take that as a compliment. Most of us don't. <laughs> we don't see that as a positive. However, I just want you to recognize this is the battlefront right here. The human body, you. That's significant. And don't let the devil whisper that you don't matter in this. Oh, you matter greatly. So greatly, in fact, that Jesus Christ gave his life to purchase you. So let's take this serious. Listen to this, guys. 2 Corinthians 6.16. For you are the temple of the living God. Um, so, out of all history, the Jews would say the most holy place on all of earth. Because well, they would say earth is holy out of all the solar system. Out of all of earth, the most holy country is Israel. Because it's set apart for God's purposes. And it's in that plot of land that God will reveal his glory. And then out of all of Israel, Jerusalem is the most holy city. And out of all of the city of Jerusalem, there is one plot of land that is more holy than any other, and that's the Temple Mount. And then out of all the Temple Mount, there is one place that is more holy than any other, and that's the Holy of Holies, which is why it's called that. So out of all the holy earth, out of all the holy land, out of all the holy city, out of all the holy uh, Temple Mount, that Holy of Holies is the most significant. And then Paul has the audacity to say, and you are the most holy place on earth now. Uh, uh, try and swallow that one. So we are becoming literally a mobile version of the most important place on earth. Yeah, yeah, I know. If, you're, if you have smoke coming out of your ears, that's normal. The fruit factory. Boy, I don't have time to go through this. Uh, I put way too much. I, I waxed far too eloquent up to this point. I was supposed to be here about 20 minutes ago. Ah, some of you have heard me teach on the body, and I call it a factory. I don't usually call it a fruit factory, but that just sounded fun this morning, to call it a fruit factory. I should have named this whole message the fruit factory. That would have been intriguing, more, more intriguing than the body. But the way I liken the human body is to a fruit factory. What's funny is you don't produce fruit in a factory. Fruit is grown on vines, on trees, and on plants. You don't produce it, and yet... The way that Christianity is described, it's sort of like a factory, and we're supposed to yield fruit out of our members. So we have many members, and they're supposed to be producing fruit. So even though it actually isn't a factory in that sense, it almost helps us to think about it that way, to recognize that if this was my body, you know, my ribs are up here on the ceiling. See those? Those are ribs. And then we have members. And so you have different members of your body. Uh, 
and just like in the church, we have members of the body. Well, so is our individual body. And so in James, it says the tongue is the littlest member. But your appetite, your capacity for sleep, your eyesight, your sexuality, your uh, tongue, all these things are members of the body, and they're supposed to be producing a very specific sort of fruit. You're supposed to be producing glory for God. Instead, something is wrong and something is off. And so I've gone in past sessions on the principle of sin and what it is. There's a seat in our life, and it's like the director position. So a glassed-in office for the fruit factory. And it was meant for God. It was built for God. However, what we've done is we've usurped. There was a coup. And what we did is we said, God, we don't want you in our fruit factory. We take your seat as our own. That, in its very essence, is sin. Sin is taking God's seat. And you know what happens? The result of that? Sins with an S on the end. You see, most of us look and we think that Jesus came to deal with sins. It's like, oh, he will, he'll forgive me of all my sins. Well, he will. All the pile of junk fruit back there that's rancid and rotten and that stinks up the whole factory, yeah. He does forgive you for that and he'll wash you whiter than snow. He'll take his big fire hose in here. He'll clean it all out. However, he has also come to save us from our sin. What does that mean? He came to get us off of that seat. So if we don't agree with that, what we oftentimes do as Christians is we call upon Jesus, but we still crave our control over our body. We want to have control over the fruit factor, and as long as that's the case, we'll produce sins. That's what happens. That's the result of, of sin is sins. So you want to change that. You want to start producing the fruit of the Spirit. You have to step down. You have to yield the seat, and you have to say, Jesus, this belongs to you. This is no longer my body. It is yours. Do with it as you see fit. And once you do that, the hand moves in to the glove, and this body is able to begin to function as it ought. These, these machines begin to produce good fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So the tripartite being, the three parts, so this is the way we start. It's called the body of sin or the body of death by Paul. Okay, what, what comes out of this is sin or sins. That's all we can produce in this. So self has taken the seat, and so you see it in the head position. So if you're listening to this on podcast, we see a body with three blocks in it, and there's a circle on top, which is the head, that says self as the head. However, this body is ruled by that top block always, and that top block is called the flesh, and it's very much alive. And then the second block is the soul, which is what we would say is us. Okay, It's our mind, will, and emotions. Okay, This is us, where we are a servant, and we'll always be a servant to what's in the top block. You know that the soul is, was never meant to be in the top block? God didn't design it that way. He meant it to be dependent and a servant or a slave to the top block. So when we're living in sin and self takes a seat, guess what? We're a servant to sin, to the flesh, to the, the desires that we have, to the uh, sensual passions that we have. Everything that destroys a life is controlling us. And then the spirit is dead. So there is a space for God in our life, but we kicked him out. And so it's like the holy of holies has cobwebs in it. God was supposed to live here, but no, he doesn't. So these baser elements of our life, do you know that all the things that rule us in the flesh 
are not bad things in and of themselves. What's wrong is selfishness. When you add selfishness to a body, you destroy everything. That's why love rules. Love is the essence of selflessness. And so we are absent of God, and as a result, self is in control. So I just clicked on this. Now, it looks very similar for those that are hearing via podcast. There's a top circle and three blocks to make up the body. But the head has changed. The head was self, and now it's Christ. This is called the body of Christ. This is what we are all invited into at the cross. So Christ is the head, and now what that does is that brings the Holy Spirit into this body. So now the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit, I have it on the screen, is now in the top block. And when the Spirit is in the top block, it's like everything can now function. And because the soul, instead of being enslaved to sin, is now free to serve the head through the Holy Spirit. And the flesh no longer has power to control. So now you're no longer ruled by your appetites. You're now ruled by Christ. So as a result, everything is made right. Does that mean you don't have appetites? No, you still have appetites, but they now can be used to the glory of God. Remember, Paul says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. Well, that's appetite talk. And so there's a way, isn't that just shocking to think that there's a way of eating and drinking where God's like, thank you so much for eating and drinking that way. Not exactly sure what that is. Linnea is convinced it doesn't include gluten-free. Uh, but, uh, yeah, she, she got excited about that. I just heard an amen that came out on that. Uh, the triune God. So I said that's three functioning as one. That's what the word triune means. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How are they the same and how are they unique? I'm going to give you just a brief understanding of this, but they each have a role in how they function. And they express the same exact thing. The glory of God is seen in a very specific way. Because one of the things that we are commissioned to do in the New Testament is lift high Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do. It says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, listen to this line, to the glory of the Father. So the Son is subservient. And however, the Holy Spirit wants everyone to see Jesus. You could say, well, doesn't he care about the Father? He does. But he knows that the Father will be glorified when everyone bends their knee and gives glory to the Son. And when everyone bends their knee and declares that he is Lord, guess what? It's to the glory of the Father. And so the Holy Spirit is laboring inside of us to lift high Jesus. And the Holy Spirit doesn't care if he's noticed. His job is not to focus on himself. His job is to focus on Jesus. Who, what is he training us in? He's training us how, how we're supposed to live too. We don't care if we're seen. The Holy Spirit is our tutor. He is our teacher. He is our helper. And he's teaching us how to live. He's like, hey, it's not about you. But you're important, Holy Spirit. That has nothing to do with it. I'm teaching you how you're supposed to live. The Holy Spirit is willing to not be seen. He's like wind. To create the effect. You know, the, the flag is <laughs> rippling in the wind. You know that there's wind, but you don't see the wind. You see the effects of the wind. And that is precisely what God wants to do in us. He wants to teach us how to behave, ironically, like the Holy Spirit. Why? So that Jesus would be seen in and through our lives. When the Holy Spirit works, Jesus is seen. You know how you found Jesus? You know how you heard of Jesus? How did you hear about Jesus? You could say, well, a guy named Chuck told me. Actually, the Holy Spirit was working on Chuck to give Chuck the words and even the impetus to talk to you. 
See, the way you even heard, the way you were awakened, because you cannot even understand and comprehend the realities of this other realm unless the Holy Spirit was working on you too, not just Chuck. It's the Holy Spirit's work in this earth to do what? To lift high Jesus. Don't you feel bad for the Father? How, how would the Father get glory? By us bending our knee and declaring that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. The way the Father gets glory is by lifting high the Son. This is how it works. They're all working together to bring glory. The glory of God is what it's called. So as we move through this, I've said this every time we've gotten together, that no matter where you're at in your progression of Christian growth, I always want to bring us back to the fact that you cannot do this without the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot be a good student of the Bible without the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot have a good prayer life unless it's the Holy Spirit that's leading you. When you sit down to study the Bible, you have to make sure that you are submitting to the Holy Spirit and not just having your own intellect examine words. This was written by him. He is the one that knows it better than anyone, so allow him to be your teacher. Key exercises of the week. One of these days, I'm going to have the whole list of all the different uh, disciplines that I've already given, because this is the seventh uh, one, and uh, I never do any review on these. I need to. It's called tithing in the Old Testament, and the New Testament is typically just referred to as generosity. And in the Old Testament, the idea was that you take a tenth of all that you have and you bring it to Jerusalem. You bring it to the temple. And it was an act of putting God first. So it was always the first fruits of your crop. And so when you put God first in your uh, material substance, then God is able to work through your life in a beautiful way. This is a discipline of the Christian life. As a Christian, this is interesting because you could come to me and say, Eric, do you think it's wise to tithe 10%? I'd say, well, there's wisdom there, absolutely. However, technically, 100% of what we own is God's. It's not 10. It's like, well, I gave God what is his, now I have my 90. Technically, God has all of it, and yes, it can be wise to take a percentage and to show that, right? However, the key for us is that it's God's and we're a steward over it, which means it's not ours, but it's ours to distribute in agreement with him. And so that's a key thing for us to learn as we're growing in Christianity is this importance of when we have, we don't hold. But when we have, we say, God, this is yours. How do you want me to use it? And if every young Christian could catch that, boy, I tell you what, the church would grow robust overnight because so much of what is stunted in American Christianity is selfishness. We have selfishness and greediness in the church. So it becomes very, very difficult for the Spirit of God to flow and to grow it up and to take because we are supposed to be sensitive to our weaker members that don't have the resource. And a generosity is just supposed to flow out of us so that the Spirit of God can say, that person over there. And we are immediately, or even ahead of time, before God even asks, already with a yes, Lord. And so this is a key and important discipline. Guys, let's finish up with prayer. Father, we love you and just thank you so much for how you are growing us and teaching us and instructing us. I pray that you would receive glory, honor, and praise. Lord, our bodies are yours. We consecrate them unto you. We ask you to fill them with your Holy Spirit. And we desire to bear fruit We desire for the glory of God to be made manifest in this earth. Thank you for choosing us. It's so bewildering, so marvelous. We say thank you. It's in the precious name of Jesus Christ that we ask this. Amen. 
Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.